welcome. Hi. How's it How going are you today? Oh, I'm uh, you first. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm good. Good. Jordan's friends had a like friendsgiving yesterday. Um, so we hosted people for like fourteen hours. Oh wow. Um, that's so many hours. It was very fun, but very exhausting. Yeah. I got to a point where I was like, okay, hey, everyone can get out of my house now. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> I would also be like that. Um, it was good, though. Yeah. Uh, fun. So, yeah, I don't know. Things have been really good lately. And I'm just living the dream. I love that for you. I do want to do a disclaimer. Uh, I moved my desk location into um, my living room instead of my bedroom. And as a result, I can't lock Loki out. So he might make noise. Oh, God. No, he just decided he wanted to jump the gate and go into the bedroom where Hattie is. So we might hear them fighting. It'll be fine. It'll be great. You just get an inside look at my life every day. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm so glad that things are good. Um, though my so like socialization batteries would be very dead by the end of that for sure. Yeah. Yep. It was fun. They like usually do like we did like a like a seafood boil for the Fourth of July and like. Mm-hmm. They're the group of guys that we like do camping trips with and whatever. Um, and they're like, Yeah, let's do this. And I was like, I was like, we can host because usually it's someone else. Mm-hmm. And then immediately I was like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I regret that just so, instantaneously. I woke up at like 7 a.m. to bake and clean and get ready and <laughs> Then we didn't go to bed until like 2 a.m. God. Yeah. That's it was a blast though. It was fun. Well games. Uh one of the guys deep fried a turkey. Two turkeys. I just it seems so extra, but okay. It was, but it was so worth it. It's the best turkey I've ever had. And like I don't really (laughs) care for turkey. Okay. But it was phenomenal noted um yeah but yes i'm exhausted i don't blame you (laughs) um yeah fortunately jordan and like everyone did a really good job of like cleaning up after themselves yesterday so we didn't wake up to a complete disaster so that was nice i love that for you okay yeah made my day off a lot easier Oh, yeah. Undoubtedly. Yeah. But. Loki is, like, slowly closing the bedroom door, and Hattie's just, like, keeping her eye in the sliver, like, <laughs> can you still see me? Can- I'm still here. I'm still here. Yep. Good. I'm just, uh, I'm just gonna shut the door. You know what? It's gonna be fine. Yeah. If I open that bedroom door later to both of my pets uh, bleeding out, I I I own that. That's 
I Just think kidding. you'll be aware before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. They're just like sometimes they snuggle and other times they're like fuck you and I never know when that's gonna be yeah (laughs) anyway anyway let's take a shot yeah oh my god where'd my stuff go okay I have nothing to like this isn't gonna make any sound probably okay uh I can try with the skull planter okay cheers that actually Um, wasn't terrible it was for me all i had to chase it was with was liquid death and finally on that on that bandwagon yeah i had one um because they're appealing like the can is just very appealing that's why they that's why they're so freaking popular is their marketing team is just like boom let's make it look like an energy drink and get people to drink water (laughs) yeah and like let's be really metal about it like Mm um and it was it was good water i guess i don't know like it's fine um it's just stupidly expensive when i could get water for free at home right with a brita yeah um no i'm still about my free water but jordan like got them in at his store so he brought some home mm. so i was like well if they're here i'll drink them but right I don't, yeah i don't know that i'm I, i'm also like a person who just drinks a lot of water anyways i don't need to like pay for specially flavored cool water to like get me to drink it right but um i am drinking for my shot i had oh jack honey yeah jack honey because a friend gifted it to me yeah so that's tasty. I was like why not you should for my well i didn't think that far ahead no, I just in the future and then for my beer i'm drinking hams for reasons that will become abundantly, abundantly clear later clear. okay can't wait oh my god okay um, um i'm great other... by the way <laughs> didn't you already say that no oh no oh yeah um, i went first <laughs> that's right yeah um tell that's me the last time i tell let me you go life. first um... yeah <laughs> well we got distracted by your pets yeah that i yeah uh i'm good man i had like a weird weekend where i was just like really out of it and mm. um like slept a lot but today has felt pretty productive and I didn't need to take a nap and yeah I did all of this research that um is very long so okay can't wait to get to it (laughs) (laughs) um are you feeling well rested how's your recovery going my recovery is going okay um though Hattie punched me in the stomach in bed yesterday like did one of her typical like Hattie wiggles and she doesn't know where her paws are at any given moment right and I was like ow that hurt and then I looked today and one of my incisions had like bled 
like reopened a little bit not bad it looks fine and it's not sore or anything but it's like making me nervous that it's gonna get infected mm-hmm. so just keep it clean should be thoughts fine. and thoughts and prayers and <laughs> some yeah antibacterial that saves lives. Soap. <laughs> that saved so many lives uh, and some antibacterial soap i yeah. said yeah that that <laughs> will save your life yes not every time but a lot of the time right <laughs> thoughts oh, and prayers man. thoughts and prayers for my incisions <laughs> yep. i mean i say it mostly as a joke because i know, I know. i'll be fine right like, obviously i'm not gonna die of this like <laughs> one incision getting punched by a dog like it's fine <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine what a way to go <laughs> honestly oh, no. take me out <laughs> Hattie would be so sad though like she wouldn't know that it was because she punched me in an incision but she would be so sad yeah so I just don't want that to be the case if it was a some dog who didn't know me let's go (laughs) (laughs) but my dog mm, no (laughs) oh my god um oh speaking of dogs like yeah okay us having people over all day Jack's had a blast was like oh my god all these friends it's amazing and then he got so exhausted so drained i mean loki was also just like he reached a point early in the day where he was like don't fucking touch me you all need to get (laughs) out of my house why are you still here but jacks was like great 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 and he even he was trying so hard to like stay awake hang out with everyone whatever but then we reached a point, it was like one o'clock in the morning, and he was just looking at me and he was just like, Ugh. and I was like, Do you want to go to bed? And he's like, Please. So he starts going to the bedroom, and I followed him in there and I like put him in bed and I was like, Okay, here you go. And then I left. And then he came out, looked at me like I betrayed him. Like he's like, I thought we were going to bed. It's time for both of us to go to bed. Why aren't you with me? <laughs> I was like, Sorry, dude. Hattie will do that when she uh, when she's really tired. He's like on the weekends. I'm a night owl. I'll be up mm-hmm. all night. It's fine. Yeah. Um. And now that I have this desk in my living room, it's like next to my bedroom door. So normally I just leave my door open, and because I can see Hattie when she's in there, I leave the gate open. Um. So uh, she will go in and lay on the bed and just stare at me. Like, um, I can't sleep under the blankets unless you're in here and you're not in here. Mm -hmm. And it's really inconvenient for me. (laughs) How dare you? Yeah, she like, I'm ready for bed. She'll like paw at the blankets and then make eye contact with me. Like, I don't have opposable thumbs. I can't lift these up, bitch. (laughs) Like... The hell is this? <laughs> and then I'll go to bed and I'll immediately lift the blankets up and she lays right next to me under the blankets and it's the sweetest thing and I remember why I love her. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, by the way, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Mari. This is Alcohol and Anecdotes, a boozy history podcast. Welcome. Uh, uh what episode <laughs> is this? It's uh, 68. 68. 68 that makes sense <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yep 
68 episodes in and still trying to nail it all down yeah we're really great that does mean though that next episode is episode 69 (laughs) oh shit i should have thought about that when i there's there's still still time time. that's true we will have a break maybe i'll change the alcohol (laughs) next week anyways (laughs) so what what alcohol works best with 69ing i I would love sex on the beach okay you know that's valid that's valid okay (laughs) on that note i literally came with the moment you're like what alcohol is like wait i got it (laughs) in the moment Mm. that's that's why you're the alcohol half of this podcast (laughs) oh my god okay well You'll be excited. Okay. I brought a little extra today. Mm. Um, so I do have an alcohol, but I also have a story. Oh my god, hold on. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> You got a little extra today. Yeah, I have I have an alcohol, but I also have a story that I'm Ooh. super excited to get to. Oh my god, I'm um, so excited. So I am going to be covering peppermint schnapps. Oh my god, perfect for the season. I figured, yeah, let's let's just do it. I also like I think before our last episode had um hot cocoa with peppermint schnapps in it. And so <sighs> I was like that sounds so okay. I am kind of vibing on this right now. <laughs> um, and like I am a Grinch, uh, because I hate Christianity. We'll just say that <laughs> I do love blanket statement. <laughs> in case you made it this far and you were unaware of how we feel about organized religion on this podcast, <laughs> um. I mean, like, if you are Christian, great. As long as you aren't utilizing your religion to um, oppress you know, others, oppress others, then that's great. Uh, but yeah, anyways, I don't like it. So I don't necessarily like Christmas, especially with how commercialized it is. I do, however, love holiday season and cheer and things like peppermint schnapps and stuff that uh, make you feel cozy. I love that. I also am a Grinch when it comes to like specifically like Christmas, mm-hmm. but um, I really love like the vibe of like, yeah, Christmas cheer, I guess is the best way to yeah. put it like holiday cheer. We're having a desk decorating competition at work. <gasps> Fun. And I am going all out. There are like pine boughs hung across my desk. And Do you I need made... any decorations? No. God, I have so many. I... <laughs> I got a hookup from my friend Ashley, who's the mm-hmm. owner of Unglued Market. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gave me a shit ton of stuff to use. Cool. And then I'm also making an entire. So above my desk, there's this like interior design element that's literally made of steel. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the end cap of it is like the perfect size for like if it were a fireplace so I made out of craft paper and construction paper an entire fireplace and I'm literally putting like 
I got this pack of different brown colors of like construction paper mm-hmm. and I'm literally like laying them brick by brick by yes. brick by brick by brick Excellent. and like outlining them in marker to look like mortar like Amazing. I'm going all out and <laughs> it's so much fun um and I was like man this is weird I don't usually get hyped about Christmas but like I'm having a lot of fun with this <gasps> Do you want, you probably already have stockings, but I do have stockings that say, one says, I love my cat and one says, I love my dog. Do you want them for <laughs> your fireplace? <laughs> um, No, because I made construction paper fireplaces already. And okay. I put as if like, as the names on each stocking, I put our company values just to get oh. bonus points. So oh, wow. Really going all out. <laughs> gang yeah (laughs) well that's amazing i'm happy for you thank you i can't wait i can't wait to see it yeah i i can't wait until it's done and then it just gets (laughs) to hang out for a few weeks and then you have to take it down yeah which i'm not looking forward to i might leave it up for a while honestly right at least after the new year yeah fine well you can be like company values (laughs) obviously seasonal it's a staple. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's get into it. Peppermint. Yes. Chef. Let's um, go. Oh, wait. Before we get into it. <laughs> right. Sources. Vinepair.com, Wikipedia, Historic UK. There are a couple other that I listed in notes when applicable. Okay. Rumplemitz to Cooper, Phillips, McGillicuddy's Ice Hole. We've all had a shot of minty schnapps at some point. Yep. If you and haven't, we usually don't love them. No, I was just gonna say if you haven't, I envy you. <laughs> um, that sweet, viscous, and viciously cold liqueur is a favorite of many. But where did it come from? You ask. Great question, Mari. <laughs> I feel like we should just make Elise Myers an honorary member of. <laughs> oh my god (sighs) yeah if you're listening elise myers we love you oh my god if only okay (laughs) she's her own podcast she doesn't have time to listen to us but you never know you never know okay um so phillips distillery claims that they created peppermint shops um so i couldn't find like I mean, I found a couple of sources that relayed this information, but I couldn't actually, one, find this information other than a Facebook post um, or, like, confirm it on the website. But the story that was written on the back of their Peppermint Schnapps brand stated, in 1935, Al Dorsch, a Phillips salesman, noticed a peculiar phenomenon in Minneapolis saloons, customers dropping peppermints into their whiskey. Ever the opportunist, Al set out to create a new liqueur that would satisfy this exciting, albeit quirky, new taste of the times. His gift to us, Philip's Peppermint Schnapps, a tradition that, as of this bottle opening, has lasted for over five generations. So here's to Al and that little phenomenon of 1935. Oh, I do have a photo. Um, it's not of. Al, I don't think. Well, so this is the thing where it's weird. <laughs> it might be Al, but it says for Sheeta. This is what came from the Facebook post and was why I was so confused about this information. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but there, like I said, there are things that like other sites that claim that this is the story that happened, but this photo that I have is just confusing. <laughs> it sounds par for the course. Honestly, it was from the podcast. Facebook post and they didn't have anything else on it. And so I was like, okay, this um, right. kind of makes sense. Um, <clears throat> maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways. Who is Fritz Sheeta? Apparently a Philip Spotify original salesman from the 1940s to the 1970s. Okay. So after maybe he took Al's place. Maybe. Yeah. Like he uh, became a, a vocal spokesperson for. Yeah peppermint schnapps yeah um so that's one claim as to who created it but a few other sites like what when how.com and mashed.com claim that nicholas francois appert or maybe it's appert it's french i don't know was the inventor of peppermint schnapps so he was a French food scientist who invented the Boyan coupe and was also the supposed creator of Herbrand Shops. He made it in 1810, according to these sites, um, to be enjoyed as an ice cream topping. But his invention didn't become popular until Marie-Louise, the Duchess of Parma, also known to some people as Napoleon's wife, but she is her own person. Um, she brought it back to her home in Austria, where the schnapps became a popular topping and drink. We we love that. Honestly, yeah. I've never thought of putting liquor on ice cream as a topping, but I might now. Yeah. That sounds really good. So, yeah, I actually was also like, that sounds tasty. Right? Um Instead of doing like root beer floats, I've done beer floats. And there are some very surprising, great combinations of beer and ice cream. Um, usually, like uh, a rich stout makes a lot of sense, like that nice, like chocolatey flavor. But mm-hmm. like one time we did a key lime pie beer, like sour oh. over ice oh. cream so good oh my god i just jizzed a little oh my god okay that's gross um <laughs> that's definitely the grossest thing we've discussed on the podcast <laughs> Jesus. the, the female photo... orgasm is not gross caitlin yeah but jizzes okay but like <laughs> i don't know it's fine everything's fine it is fine and no, it's not the grossest thing we've said on the podcast. <laughs> um, we routinely talk about farts, okay? Yeah. <laughs> the second photo is a photo of Nicholas Francois Appert. Mm-hmm. Or Appert, or however you say his name. Um, that guy, Nick. That guy. Yeah, that guy, Nick. <laughs> Good old Nick. Um, <laughs> He's real popular this time of year. Oh my god, not that Nick. Yeah, no, different Nick, but <laughs> still popular this time of year. Yes. So, yeah, a couple of different possible histories 
you know, who's to say who's actually correct? I mean, it does seem like this guy who was a food scientist and probably created it would have been the first. But I cannot confirm nor deny that. (laughs) (laughs) So researching peppermint schnapps brought up more questions than it did answers for me. So I ended up going on a few deep dives. We love, we love a rabbit hole. (laughs) First of which was an NPR article that I will be sure to link on the website. Um, It it basically explained like why we enjoy the cooling sensation of peppermint. And the Mm. gist of it was that menthol tricks our nerve endings into thinking it's cold and that like cold quality can help satiate our thirst, keep us alert and like ease our breathing um which is like why it's common in you know drinks cigarettes candy things like that or when you're sick like yeah cold medicine that's that's the number one time when i think about menthol is like cold medicines and like vapor rub yep i love vicks i'm not a vicks og fan but like I could be swayed, I think. It makes me smell like an old grandpa, but I don't care because I f- it makes me feel so good. I love that for you. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of old grandpas, I am currently wearing my first Depop purchase. sweater. It's a grandpa sweater, and I am obsessed with it. It, it was my first purchase off of Depop, so consider me a convert. <laughs> good work. Thanks. So the second rabbit hole that I went down as tr- as I was trying to research peppermint um, was the story of a mass poisoning. Oh, that's not where I saw that going <laughs> at all. It's also not going to go where you think it's going to go. Oh, my so God. Buckle up. Uh, <laughs> click. <laughs> done. So. This is known as the Bradford Sweets Poisoning of 1858. William Hardiker, known lovingly as Humbug Billy, ran a sweet (laughs) stall. (laughs) Just wait. Ran a sweet stall in central Bradford, England. Hardiker Hardiker would purchase sweets like peppermint humbugs from a man named Joseph Neal, who was a, like, well-known candy maker. Mm Mm-hmm. Neil would make the peppermint candies from peppermint oil, sugar, and gum. But sugar was really expensive at the time. So occasionally some corners were cut. Candy makers Uh, like Neil would use powdered gypsum, also called DAF, in place of sugar. So it was like very common for um, food makers to swap out different substances for things. Um, and they would op- often like obscure the names of the ingredients in order to like hide that they were swapping it out. So calling it daff or stuff or like names like that just to like make it hidden. Wow. <laughs> so the powdered gypsum was fine. It was again used commonly, but our story takes place on October 30th of 1858. Neil, uh, the candy maker, sent his boarder, James Archer, to collect daff for his next batch of sweets. 
Archer took the trip to Charles. There's a lot of names. So if you have questions, please ask. So Archer, the boarder, took the trip to Charles Hodgson's pharmacy, which was about three miles away, to secure the order. Um, But at the time, Hodgson was ill. So his assistant, William Goddard, was the one to help Archer with his errand. Willie, Willie, don't fuck this up. (laughs) Hodgson told Goddard that the daff was in a corner in the attic. Um, So Goddard found a cask and served Archer 12 pounds of what he thought was daff. It's not daff. (laughs) If at any point you have a guess of what it is, let me know, because I saved it until the very end. So um, I don't want to guess. I okay. have a guess because I'm looking at this picture, but I don't want to guess. Oh, okay. I forgot about the picture. Um, I should have <laughs> hidden it. So Archer brought the supply back to Neil, who employed an experienced candy maker by the name of James Appleton to create the humbugs for Hardiker. Humbugs for Hardiker sounds like the best <laughs> charity name. <laughs> Charity name or like, like a band name? Maybe, maybe Christmas yeah. band. <laughs> Specifically, a metal, a Christmas metal band. Hell yeah, humbugs for heart like that. Okay, we need to like get our friends on this. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so Appleton noticed that the finished product looked unusual compared to the usual humbugs. And he experienced some illness while making the sweets, but he didn't really think anything of it. So, I don't know, must have been normal to vomit for several Mm -hmm. days and experience pain up and down your arms and hands as a candy maker. That seems completely rational. Yeah. (laughs) Hardiker bought 40 pounds of the candy from Neil. He noticed that they looked different compared to usual, uh, but he used this to get a discount. Um, he also at some point tried a sweet and became ill, but didn't really think anything of it. Oh my god. And he even went on to sell five pounds of candy that night. <sighs> In the next few days, there were some reported illnesses. Um, but it kind of took a while for anyone to really start putting the pieces together. Uh, in fact, the first thing that happened that could have been a clue but wasn't initially was that two children died oh just casual (laughs) um cholera was a big problem in britain at the time so that's what their deaths were attributed to Mm -hmm. but as more people began to get ill and some of them die Mm -hmm. something else needed to be figured out in the end 21 people died and over 200 suffered from severe illness and finally, the link was made. Um, after a little bit of digging, it was discovered that each piece of candy contained enough arsenic to kill two people. Oh, my God. That's so, so much arsenic. So good old Willie, the assistant, who, you know, didn't know any better. He just grabbed what he thought was gaff. He accidentally sold him arsenic. everyone involved was charged with manslaughter so everyone from um hardiker to appleton like everyone was charged as they were like piecing together this story in this timeline um but as the story was unwrapped uh 
none of the men were convicted. I do feel like it seems like it was a genuine accident. Yeah. Well, they took enough time and there were truly enough moving pieces. And it was like, because like, usually Joseph Neal would be making the candies, but he hired Appleton to do at that time. And Appleton did notice, but he was like, well, it still seems, you know, fine. They don't look that much different. Um, You know, Hodgson was sick, so mm-hmm. his assistant was the one who grabbed the stuff. The person who fetched it was a boarder and not one of the candy makers like it it truly was like too much coincidence or like so many like it was all coincidence yeah there was no way to describe it as any way about that it was a real shit storm of coincidences if you will so instead the scandal resulted in new legislation that would help protect public health from there on out Um, The 1860 Adulteration of Food and Drink Bill and the UK Pharmacy Act of 1868 introduced regulations to help prevent the mishandling of food and medicines by, um, you know, distributors, druggists, pharmacists. Um, And then in 1874, the sugar tax was abolished, making it much more affordable and therefore people did not need to use substitutes anymore. Good, good. Um. You did already look at that political cartoon that was in the <laughs> drive. Quite yep. great. Um, I do also have a folder in there that says open only when I say so. I have a little palette cleanser for you. <laughs> oh, God. Um, wait, what? I don't know. Oh, there it is. I had to scroll up. Sorry. That's okay. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> When is this ad from? <laughs> I honestly don't know. I just know that it's a vintage <laughs> Rumpelman's ad with a really hot warrior lady with an eye patch and a sword riding a polar bear. And classic, like, only eye, only armor down to her underboob situation. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Obviously, on their, the website. Who needs their stomach <laughs> to be protected when they're in combat? nobody not anyone with a vagina anyway (laughs) i also love that like the the slogan at the bottom is just authentic german german (laughs) wow and she's riding a fucking polar bear with red eyes (laughs) oh my god wow i knew you would appreciate that so i just wanted to include it for for some funsies I hate Rumplemans, but this, oh my God. Kind of makes you want to drink Rumplemans, right? I might be swayed. Honestly, (laughs) wow. I'll get a really nice, I'll get like a print of it and and put it up when we eventually have a studio again. That needs to be in our future studio. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Wow. Um, Okay. So just to kind of like round out my segment, um, there i did want to list some of the drinks that are made with peppermint schnapps or like peppermint in them um so there's the peppermint patty it's hot cocoa creme de cacao and peppermint schnapps uh peppermint martini which is vanilla vodka and peppermint schnapps okay yeah peppermint coffee toddy which is coffee peppermint schnapps creme de cacao and heavy cream 
um, the grasshopper, which is creme de menthe and creme de cacao with heavy cream. So it's not technically schnapps, but it is Mindy cocktail. Okay, got it. Um, and then the peppermint white Russian, which is Kahlua. And then you can use peppermint schnapps or peppermint vodka in place of plain vodka and half and half. I listen. White Russians are underrated. They're so good. And also iron butterflies where yeah. you substitute the cream for Bailey's. Yeah. It will fuck you up. But They're like so, so it's so worth good. it. <laughs> Have you ever had a white Russian but instead of vodka done the Jameson Caskmates? No. You gotta try that. Okay. Noted. So so good. Um, and then I'm just drinking a peppermint hot cocoa, which is, you know, self-explainable. Just hot cocoa with peppermint schnapps. Um, very tasty. Very cozy. It's the adult version of putting a candy cane in your hot chocolate. Yes. So um, good. I didn't really, like, have a lot for pairings. Um, that makes sense. Honestly. Basically, I just listed Christmas cookies, holiday cheer, cold winter nights, and board games. So. <laughs> Classic. That sounds cozy AF, honestly. I mean, it's a dessert in itself. Yeah. So, it's like not, I mean, it seems like it's not really something that's meant to be like had with like a dinner. It's like right. just like a, a, a little treat. Right. Know? Yeah um yeah so that's that's what i had today for peppermint schnapps i just like really ran the full gambit of everything i could possibly put in a segment i honestly love that this political cartoon is like gothic af i love it like it's it's fun um and yeah i mean like that Mm -hmm. photo was like listed on some of the the sites that had this story so it just was all the more reason for me to want to like read into it um and i was like wait are they poisoned by peppermint like what <laughs> what is going on here <laughs> right oh, i can't get over this ad though oh my god it's absolutely epic i also i completely forgot to include it so i just need to find it one podcast that did cover the bradford poisonings was the poisoner's cabinet which was really fun um and i would definitely recommend if you want a little bit more info on that i feel Um, like i've also referenced the poisoner's cabinet as well so like a plus podcast content yeah this was their second episode so they've definitely only gotten better and that one was already (laughs) very fun so highly recommend but that's it that's what i got i love that um I'm glad that nobody gets accidentally poisoned by peppermint peppermint anymore. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, arsenic. Okay, that makes so much more sense. But I was like, way more sense. Do they just like pump way too much peppermint into it? Which I'm sure is like a thing, but it would have to be a lot. And like, you would notice it. If something was like crammed full of peppermint. Uh, is it possible to get Peppermint poisoning? Peppermint. Uh, yeah. You can overdose on peppermint oil. 
How much does it have? Oh, okay. Oil. How much does it have to be? Uh, I'm sure it's like an absurd amount. Mount Low Sinai's website does not say. Hmm. Okay. So like it has to be a lot. It's not like an immediate concern. And also if you can stomach that much peppermint, then they're like, you should just get that checked out anyways. <laughs> yeah. That's. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. just peppermint oil. Just like, let's just go, just peppermint extract. Just dose me with it. Let's go. <laughs> like, just put me on a drip. Like, mm, who cares? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at another reference to a scholarly article and it said the exact amount could not be ascertained thanks so helpful because Uh, it probably has to be an absurd amount it probably has to be real high yeah like you would get like just sick before it would even get to a point everything just says in large amounts so honestly nobody likes peppermint that much no nobody no i mean i'm sure it's like the same as like you know, coffee where you have to just like chug fifty cups in an hour, or like you can get pet poisoning from nutmeg. But again, it has to be really large amounts. Right. Everything in moderation. Seems key. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Yeah. I need a refill. Same. I'm gonna go <laughs> grab another can of hams out of the fridge. I can't wait for your story. All right, PRB. <laughs> Welcome back. Hi. Hello. Do you want to do another shot with me? Yes, I do. Um, sorry. <laughs> what is happening? I was pouring a beer into a glass. Oh, oh right. So it tasted better. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, shot time. Cheers. Okay. Oh. <laughs> You're doing great. I spilt. <laughs> oh, that's what that was. I yeah. never would have guessed. <laughs> um, I'm fine. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Uh, it is. It is fine. Yep. Just fine. Fine. Just perfectly <laughs> splendid. Oh my god. It's perfectly splendid. Yeah, that's that's how it's said. Yep. Could use a little sweetener. Maybe some sugar. Maybe we should <laughs> lower the taxes. Yeah, yeah. Too expensive. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go get some okay. daff or arsenic. That'll be fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. No <laughs> one's gonna die. Just keep full circle of that conversation and back to just being fine. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh yeah okay mari <laughs> what else is fine uh, fine just is fine it's just gonna be fine is a story that i have for you today which is the story of the barker carpus gang and the kidnapping of william ham jr i love the gang who is grandson of the founder of ham's brewing <gasps> yeah mm-hmm this is why I texted you. I texted Caitlin 
like a few days ago and was like, hey, um, would uh, what are we covering? Like just cat, like general genre of alcohol wise so I can make sure I'm not going to overlap because that happens every time I find something even nominally alcohol related. There's, I don't think we have had an overlap yet. No, but I I text you about oh, it. Oh, right, right. I, I was like, I feel like we we think differently enough, or like, yeah, that it, like it what hasn't we're happened yet. For right, it's like different enough. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. Um. I do have lots of pictures in the drive. This is one of those like Mari brings a million pictures episodes. <laughs> Um, okay. Just click on the like first one and just kind of like follow along. Yeah, um, that's that's what I usually do. That's my plan. Okay, great, great, good. <laughs> We're on it. New can of hams. I should have gotten some hams. We could have gone ham. We could have gone ham with the hams. <laughs> <sighs> you turkey. <laughs> it's fine. I didn't go and buy a six pack of hams specifically for this episode or anything. That's I, like literally what I do for every episode. <laughs> I know, but it's just not how my half works usually. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm not usually a hams drinker, though I did drink a sour, not a sour, like a, it's called a tart ale. I don't know how that's different from a sour, but it wasn't labeled sour on the package from portage brewing earlier sure um i don't know anyway uh so i feel like that like has gotten me to the point where i'm not bothered by a standard non-sour beer Mm -hmm. because sours are where i live obviously Mm -hmm. anyway back to the topic at hand the reason i'm drinking hams is because we're we're talking about the kidnapping of a hams executive and the grandson of the founder okay so the barker carpus gang (laughs) i'm interrupting my own self the world doesn't want you to start (laughs) no (laughs) the barker carpus gang operated from 1931 to 1935, this is like the golden age. Like, we always talk about the golden age of serial killers. The 1930s were the golden age of, like, bank robber gangs. So, um, obviously, it was, like, the Great Depression, and um, John Dillinger was a thing. I was high-key obsessed with John Dillinger for a long time. But to my general astonishment, I had not heard of the Barker and Carpus gang until I started researching for this episode. So, let's get into it. Um, the gang was led by two individuals, Fred Barker and Alvin Carpus. So we're going to talk about Fred first. Fred was born on December 12th, 1901, which is, as of when we're recording, tomorrow. <gasps> yeah, I know. A uh, hundred and... 21 years ago but tomorrow in aurora (laughs) in aurora missouri 
Um, the family that he was born into, the Barker family, were poor sharecroppers. They would eventually move to Tulsa, Oklahoma when he was young. Uh, this didn't, unfortunately, do a lot to change their economic circumstances, however. Um, so his older siblings, he had three older brothers, Herman, Lloyd, and Arthur, who was also known as Doc, but... Um, I'm just going to continue calling him Arthur. If you decide to look into this family further, though, just know his nickname was Doc. So if you see Doc Barker, it was Arthur. Okay. I don't know why that was his nickname, but whatever. I'm sure there's a reason that was never disclosed. Yep. It's like an inside joke kind of thing. Um, um, also, as a side note, I'm rating your burp 8 out of 10 for interruption and 4 out of 10 for quality. So you averaged out to 6 out of 10. Sick. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I I don't know that I've ever had a burp rated on this podcast. Have I haven't. I realized that I needed to start doing it because for some reason I haven't been burping on the podcast <laughs> anymore, but you have been lately. So amazing. Okay, great. <laughs> I like the variables that were thought of in that. <laughs> I just didn't want to bring it up right after you burped to interrupt your start again. <laughs> oh, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Here we are. Um, okay, anyway, so Herman, Lloyd, and Arthur, a.k.a. Doc, were all older than uh, than Fred and also got, like, an early start as local delinquents in Tulsa. They ended up becoming a part of this gang called the Central Park Gang, which is not called Central Park Gang because it was in New York. It's just there was a park there also called Central Park where they would meet to plan out their crimes or like stash their stolen goods. Um, Fred would also eventually become a part of this gang uh, local newspapers dubbed the Barker clan the Bloody Barkers for their reputation of criminal behavior. Um, they were already on their way to being notorious bank robbers, and in some instances, the brothers were known to kill with little or no provocation. So, like, not a family you wanted to fuck with, basically. No. Um, so... For what I could find uh, about the the brothers, Arthur was sentenced to life in prison in the 1920s for murdering a night watchman, but he was released in 1932 and would go on to join the Barker Carpus gang. Then there was also Lloyd, who was sentenced to 25 years in prison in 1922 for mail theft and later would be released in 1938. After that, he became a U.S. Army cook for the for a prisoner of war camp, because that would have been like right when World War II was starting, and he ended up in 1949 being murdered by his wife in Colorado. So, not a happy ending for Lloyd. Uh, she probably had good reason, honestly. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the story, but like, based on this family, it's just a guess. However, like, never okay to murder someone, but yeah, based on the things that he's done, it, and like it, the vibes of this family in general, like it was mm, more than likely like self defense, or so, there was or something, something. yeah, like yeah. <laughs> anyway, she was sent to Colorado State Insane Asylum after his murder, um. So, take that as you will. Well, wait, and but wasn't, uh, was that 
You said 1940? 1949. So it was like... So is it also a time before, like, women were even, like, technically incarcerated because we were all just crazy? I don't know. I don't either. details on that. That's um, my theory. Anyways. Crazy housewife seems to fit the era. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Herman supposedly committed suicide on August 29th, 1927, after suffering serious injuries during a shootout with police. Um, my guess is he probably, like, thought he wasn't going to survive those injuries and just decided to take his fate into his own hands. Right. Or if he did um, survive, didn't want to be, like, turned in, didn't want to be taken. Right. Yeah. I will note that there was a lot of conflicting narratives online, um, but the only Barker brother other than Fred that I saw regularly mentioned was Arthur. So I'm going with these narratives, but if you're looking into it further on the uh, online, like, there were some, like, sites that referenced... Um, both of the other brothers, Herman and Lloyd, joining the Barker gang, which, like, the timelines are all whack in terms of their stories because there's not a lot about known about them. Speaking of sources, I should probably cite mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Wikipedia, duh. <laughs> Um, the Tattoo FBI. it on my forehead. <laughs> Honestly, if I haven't referenced, referenced Wikipedia during an episode, just ask me if I'm okay. Because something's clearly wrong. Um, the FBI, this website called Legends of America, MNOpedia, which I think is a hilarious website name. Yeah. Minpost, hams.com, PBS, the Minnesota Good Age website and Growler Mag. So, just to I, go back, the entire FBI was one of your sources. Just the, the FBI yeah. is your source. Their cool. website has a like an archive. Oh. Yeah. Damn it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I I just asked every member of the FBI about this. They so. all confirmed. It was it was great. It was cool. <laughs> I do have those connections. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell them all to listen to the podcast? Yeah, I would happily. (laughs) Okay, so obviously Fred, like I said earlier, follows in his brother's footsteps and he joins the gang as well. Um, At the age of either 25 or 26, at some point in 1927, he's arrested and convicted of burglary for the first time. At this time, he was sent to Kansas State Penitentiary, and this is where he would meet Alvin Karpis. In prison, Fred was known for his, like, personal charm. He had a sway with the prison guards, and he was often capable of obtaining weed and other perks for himself and his friends, which, like, you know, is a good thing to have, I guess. It's a good person to have in your friend group. Um, Alvin cite or described him even during this time as a natural born killer who never hesitated so definitely gang material cute yeah we love (laughs) um if only you could see the facial expression i made immediately after saying we love (laughs) i clearly say that too much um so anyway fred was released from prison in 1930 
Moving on to Alvin Karpis, a little bit about him. He was born on August 10th, 1907 in Canada. He's, He's a Leo. A... Yeah. I'm sure you'll <laughs> relate to him thoroughly throughout this whole story. Yeah, especially um, the murder. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thanks, Loki. You got my back. <laughs> I almost confessed to murder. <laughs> <laughs> Loki. Bro. That was perfect timing. That the sound happened as I said murder. <laughs> um I didn't hear anything break, so we're just gonna keep trucking. Great. He's probably mad because he hasn't eaten in an hour and a half. So. Oh my god. You are the worst pet parent ever. I <laughs> know. Hour and a half? I've- I'm starving him, so... (laughs) Anyway. Alvin, like I said, was born in Canada in 1907. He's a Leo. He's a child of Lithuanian immigrants, and his criminal history started very early. At age 10, he was already keeping company with gamblers, bootleggers, and pimps. So, just, like, get it. Well, my criminal history started when I was, like, two, and I stole chapstick in the store so that I could eat it. So, take that. <laughs> uh, this isn't meant to be a pissing contest, <laughs> Caitlin. <laughs> Thank you for owning your past crimes, though. Mine is bigger. <laughs> I give you ten Hail Marys. Let's move on. <laughs> um. His intense stare, as you'll see from his mugshot, which is picture two, uh, and his sinister smile, which I don't have a photo of, so sorry, but probably you don't want to see it, earned him the nickname of Creepy Carpus, Um, which made me think, like, a a lot of gangsters have nicknames. I want to know what my gangster nickname would be. Like, so if anyone's got any ideas on that, just let me know. (laughs) Anyway. Yes, please. Yeah. I want to find one of those, like, um, your whatever your birth month is and whatever your birth date yeah, like, is. Like, that's like your... a gangster name generator type situation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to make one. Okay, good. In 1926, he was aged 18 or 19. He was sentenced to 10 years in Kansas for attempted burglary. He... Um, however, did escape prison shortly thereafter with another inmate named Lawrence Delvol. Devol, not Delvol. Um, and the pair went on a year-long crime spree. However, Devol was then recaptured, which led to Alvin having to stay under the radar. He stayed for a little while at his parents' home. And was eventually caught attempting to steal a car, and he was sent back to prison. He hadn't originally been imprisoned. He hadn't originally been imprisoned at the same prison as Fred was, but at this time, once he was recaptured, he was then transferred to Kansas State Penitentiary. Um, he was, and I read conflicting statements here as well but i'm going with he was released from prison on 1931 some sources claimed that he escaped from prison in 1931 but 
Uh, I'm just going with released because that seemed to be the like overarching claim. So at this point, the pair have met. They're both out of prison. It's 1931. And they connect to begin committing crimes together. They start out with nighttime burglaries in, like, jewelry stores and things like that. But on December 19th, 1931, a burglary of a store took a deadly turn when they murdered Sheriff Calvin Roy Kelly in West Plains, Missouri, so the next two posters are wanted posters for him and members of his gang. Um, the first one uh, features Kate, his mother, who went by Ma Barker, and Arthur Doc Barker, his brother. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is just him and Alvin. Um, so obviously killing a law enforcement officer not a good look for the gang so they flee first they go to joplin missouri then they go to saint paul uh because fun fact caitlin uh saint paul was a haven in the 1920s and 30s for criminals one more Uh, reason why it sucks So the house where they set up kidding, I actually do like St. Paul. (laughs) St. Paul's a vibe, man. It's okay. I don't, yeah, I don't want anyone to, like, come out. (laughs) Uh, The house where they set up camp in St. Paul at 1031 Robert Street South is still standing. And according to Zillow, it's uh, 1,694 square feet, has three bedrooms and two bathrooms, and it most recently sold in 2018 for $200,000. $200, Dang! So, and, like, the pictures of it, it's, like, 10 out of 10 historic home. It's Cute. so nice. It was, it was built just a few years. I think it was built in 1927. So it was just a few years before they, um, like, moved in, basically. Even with, like, like price increases and stuff, I imagine that that house would, would still only be, like, 230 yeah, like it's a nice house. It's so, not on the market right now, so no, sorry. But, but like, but like, like even if they were to try and sell with the housing the market inflation. the way that it is, <laughs> like the house would still probably only be like two thirty. So like, dang, that's cute. Historic home, all in one. Let's go. Used to be house gangsters. Like it's a vibe. It's yeah. a vibe. Damn. Do you know when it was built? 1927. Oh, okay. According to the Zillow listing. Fuck yeah. Not even 100 years old. I know. It's it's like <laughs> close, but not quite. It's 95 years old. The house we're um, buying is over 100. Did I tell you that? I, no. I 109 years old. What? I wonder oh. if our house has gangsters. That would be so sick. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Please continue. <laughs> okay um so they had stuck to primarily like robbing stores at night until in 1932 arthur was released and he joined the gang at that time and then um they escalated to bank robbery at that point which 
it was a time for people to be robbing banks, man. Nobody trusted as, the banks. As you do. Um, if you don't know shit about the Great Depression, the one thing you should know is that nobody trusted banks mm-hmm. at all. Um, so, like I said, uh, Arthur joined the gang. Ma Barker joined the gang. But it doesn't really seem like she was necessarily heavily involved in their operations. She just kind of like came along as a way of um like the the theory is that she would like travel with them so that it looked like it was a mother traveling with her sons Mm -hmm. and add some legitimacy to their movement i guess right just like it was but like yeah more as like a like a play as as opposed to just like actually just being there right yeah like um just to like add some legitimacy like who's gonna commit crimes in front of their mother Mm -hmm. you know kind of thing Mm -hmm. um one of the barker carpus gang's strategies is actually that they would add in individuals very like oceans 11 style uh for who like what specific skills they needed for each job this meant that they kind of had a rotating docket of members and this made it really hard for them to keep tabs on. Um, the FBI really struggled to like pin down like who was in the gang at any given time to track them. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end of 1932, they had already robbed over 11 banks. So they were escalating quickly. Dang. Also a fun fact, um, as I kind of mentioned earlier... The um, St. Paul was known as the Crooks Haven in 1920s and 30s. It was commonly used as a sanctuary by criminals and gangs across the Midwest um, because of the level of corruption there. Uh, this was all seeded by an unofficial, like unwritten agreement between the police chief of 1900, his name was John O'Connor. I have a picture of him on the drive as well. Okay. Um, he kind of, like, created this agreement with the, like, leading underworld criminals of the time called the Layover Agreement. And this allowed criminals to come into St. Paul unharassed under three conditions. The first is that they checked in with the police when they arrived. The second was that they agreed to pay bribes to the police and other city officials. And the third was that they refrained from committing major crimes such as burglary, kidnapping, and murder within St. Paul's city limits. They could go literally anywhere else in the metro area and do as they pleased. But as long as it wasn't in St. Paul, St. Paul's like system of law enforcement wouldn't do anything to Mm -hmm. like make their life more difficult okay so basically they were allowed to lay over like you would on a flight Mm -hmm. in saint paul and in exchange for following the rules they would be given a heads up on potential fbi raids and they were afforded protections, like, I don't know, just generally not being arrested for their crimes, mm-hmm. even if, you know, they were bad ones. And it will come as no surprise to you, Caitlin, 
that the Act of 1919, uh, the Volstead Act, uh, introduced uh, prohibition. Shells root beer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Volstead Act made this much worse because <laughs> at this point, gangsters took over, I don't know, providing liquor for a very willing public. And if they were in St. Paul where they knew they weren't going to get punished for committing crimes and also where the demand for liquor was just as high as anywhere else, um, they um, just like had a heyday with -hmm. producing alcohol and flouting the prohibition laws. So St. Paul quickly became known as one of the wettest cities in the nation. Hell yeah. The Midwest um, always living up to expectations. We try our best. To drink a lot. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Sorry, I had to take a drink of my beer, obviously. Yep. Um I've I'm I'm not even finished with mine and I'm already thinking about how I should have grabbed another one, so I feel that so hard. Hey, we might um, take a second break. <laughs> We might have to. Among the famous criminals who sought refuge in St. Paul are names you might recognize, Caitlin, including John Dillinger, mm. Al Capone, yeah. and Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, I did say I love a good gang. Let's go. <laughs> so all like all of those people and the people that they associated with found refuge in St. Paul because of this layover agreement. Um. It, however, kind of backfired, surprise, surprise, on the city of St. Paul. In 1932, more than 20% of the nation's bank robberies occurred in Minnesota. (laughs) Which is a fact I didn't know. Um, So this is working out especially well for bank robbers and especially poorly for Minnesotan banks at the time. That does explain why, like, every... (sighs) For some reason, every farmer that I've ever met is like, yeah, I keep all my cash in my house because banks suck. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Great Depression is like tally number one against the banks. And then like this is tally number two for sure. Right. Um, Side note, the Barker Carpus gang was responsible for two of those robberies in 1932. Wow. in 1932, um, the gang received a heads up from a St. Paul law enforcement that there was an FBI raid. So they, like, fucking booked it out of town. They head to Webster, Wisconsin. And they suspected at this point that they had a leak, like some sort of mole within their, their gang. Um, and it turns out, that they suspected none other than Ma Barker's boyfriend, Arthur Dunlop. Ah, Arthur Dunlop. I think, I don't know. I didn't dig into him too much because it's not super significant to the story, but he probably has a Wikipedia page somewhere. Anyway, Ma's boyfriend, Arthur, is the suspect for what, like, the leak in the crew. So they decide to take action when the authorities finally catch up to where they had been hiding in webster the gang is already gone but they do find 
the body of Arthur Dunlop on a lakeshore nearby. So they're plugging those leaks real fast. So how does this all relate to Ham's Brewing, you ask? Great question, Caitlin. I would love to tell you. Can't wait. In 1933, they decided to diversify their crime portfolio, if you will. And they decide to expand to kidnapping. They're like, this is an untapped source of revenue. We could clearly, like, make bank. So target number one, William Ham Jr. So William Ham Jr. was the grandson of Theodore Ham, the founder of Ham's Brewing. Um, Theodore founded Ham's Brewing in 1865 in St. Paul. And it managed to survive the prohibition by producing soft drinks and near beer, the mm-hmm. things we have talked about before. Um, in 1933, as they had survived, like prohibition was repealed in 1933, Hamsbury had survived. So they were like well placed uh, to expand very rapidly at this point, because as you and I know, uh, and as we've talked about before, a lot of breweries went under during this period. So there's a lot of cheap brewing equipment, a lot of breweries being sold on the cheap, et cetera, et cetera. So they expanded really quickly. And um, between that and the fact that, like, this is already a pretty well-established family business um, since it had started in 1865, there was a solid fortune uh, in the Ham family. Uh, Theodore Ham's mansion, uh, like he had a mansion that was near the brewery, for example. There's a picture of it on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's gorgeous. It's stunning. It has a turret. Listen, we love a good turret. Um. That, looks like, <laughs> that looks like the Airbnb that Jordan and I stayed at. When we went to Duluth, like in the best way, like it is like definitely that same era that it was built, just like very, very fucking beautiful. That's my mm-hmm. thing. Um, sad news is it was uh, set on fire by an arsonist in the fifties and no longer stands. Of course, um, it wasn't completely destroyed by the fire, but it was a little bit too much to like bother repairing it, so they tore it down. This is why we can't have nice things. I know. You guys need to start seeing therapists instead of acting on your impulse decisions. If your impulse decision is to, like, purchase that thing that you have had your eye on for a while, like, you know, a cute top, great. Do it. But if it's to set a house on fire, stop it. Go see a therapist. The good news is the house wasn't occupied at the time that it was set on fire. That is good. But... Still a bummer because it's a beautiful house. <laughs> it is. Um, so, where was I? I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I only. I have was seven talking about therapy. You were. <laughs> okay, I'm on page four though. It's okay. We're getting okay. there. Okay, so between the fact that like Hamsbring was set to grow. <clears throat> God damn it. Mm, that one gets like a 1.8. It was a shitty burp. I recognize that. Yeah. Um, 
It just really wanted to interrupt me yet again. <laughs> okay, so between the fact that Ham's Brewing was set to grow and the fact that, like, the family was already very clearly wealthy, obviously, William Ham Jr., who was the current president of the brewing company, was set to become a good kidnapping ransom, like, for ransom target. Now, in a city crawling with gangsters that are looking to make a lot of money, you might think maybe the wealthy people of the city would feel like they need to be a little bit more careful, right? <laughs> no, you would be wrong. Uh, as it turns out, they didn't feel that need because they, first of all, didn't really understand the degree to which their city was infested by the criminal underworld. Secondly, the St. Paul police had told the public that they put together a kidnap squad that would identify individuals in the city who are at high risk of being kidnapped, uh, and the purpose of this squad was to protect them. However, because the police department was so corrupt, the kidnapping squad didn't decide that they were going to protect them. They turned around and gave that information to the gangsters who would kidnap them in exchange for money. So that was like because of the layover agreement that we talked Thank about. Thank you for earlier. doing research for us. We're just going to utilize this. Right, exactly. Um, so the kidnap squad didn't actually protect the targets. They just sold their information and like helped the gangs identify good targets to make a lot of money. Uh, William, who was named president of Hamster Ring in 1931, had a habit of walking home to lunch. Now, in the picture of the investigators after he gets kidnapped, there, there's a picture of investigators in, um, I just found a cat whisker. Oh, Loki, where'd you Save him. Whisker? Put him in a little jar. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just going to set that right there now. I actually um, have a, I'm so sorry. I actually have a tiny little jar that I'll give you. You can put your cat whiskers in. Okay. Thank you. Anyways. Um, so it looks like it's the same house as the mansion that Mm. they built in the photo of the investigators, just from a different angle. However, I read another source that said that no one lived in that house after 1931. So I am not 100% sure, but it does look like the same house, just from a different angle. It kind of does, but it also doesn't. There's not the fence that there is another one. But there's it, not like, all the ivy on it, and, like, yes, there's a turret. I guess, I don't know. Like, it just looks like, because um, if you rotated the building yeah. 180 degrees, what would it look like from behind? Because that's where the investigators are standing, so I don't really know. I see what you mean. Yeah. Like, anyway. the first one, it looks like there's, like, there's like some kind of fence, but maybe there's just literally just one pillar. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, okay. but the the um, reason that I even waffled about this was the fact that he has a tendency to walk home from work for lunch, and the mansion was literally so close to the brewery um, that it was heated by the like steam produced by the brewery, which we love, eco friendly, yep, a a plus. Um, so it was like just up the hill from the brewery so that would be really close so it would make sense that he would feel safe walking home but also he's a fucking millionaire 
in a time when there are gangsters everywhere. So, like, maybe not ideal. But also eat the rich. I don't know. I'm having conflicting well, feelings about it. But also don't kidnap people. I mean, yeah, but capitalism sucks. Well, um. I, well right. But I was just gonna, like, okay. The he's walking home from work, he should feel safe is the same as to me sounds the same as um well maybe you shouldn't have worn those clothes. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. I will point out that Growler Meg described him in this instance as a wealthy capitalist. And fair. I feel like that sums up why I'm having conflicted feelings. <laughs> he can he can be all of those things, but I'm just saying that doesn't yes. mean that that gives people the right to kidnap him. Oh, yeah. No, you're correct. Um, even if my inner demons don't want you to be. <laughs> um, okay, so he has a habit of walking home from lunch, uh, for lunch. And on June 15th, nineteen, He also wasn't the one who created the capitalism that was Hamspring. That's he just true. he was born into it. Yeah. It's not his fault. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he was on his way home for lunch when someone approaches him for a handshake and he goes, "You're Mr. Ham, right?" And he goes, "Yeah." And then someone from behind puts a hood over his head and they shove him into a black sedan and onto the floorboards of the vehicle. Hmm. So. They immediately take off for the state line. St. Paul is not that far from Wisconsin, so that's obviously their intended des- like destination for the moment. They get to Wisconsin, out of St. Paul jurisdiction, and they make him sign four ransom letters that they send out and demand $100,000 in ransom money. Today, that would be $2.3 million. For context, it's a lot of money. Uh, After he signed the ransom letters and they sent them, they move on to Bensonville, Illinois, where they basically just hold him captive until they can work with whomever they need to work with to get their ransom paid. Um, When asked who would be a trustworthy liaison between themselves and the FBI, so the gang asks... William Ham, this like who do you want to be responsible for organizing the delivery of this ransom he names the manager of the brewery <laughs> so like where's his family why are they not calling his family yeah um so at one point as they're like negotiating the ransom and everything they're uh Excuse all of you. Okay. So at one point as they're negotiating the ransom. They're being so sassy. Both of you. Knock it off. Let's try this again. (laughs) Okay, so as they're negotiating the ransom, at one point, J. Edgar Hoover, the founder of the FBI, a general shitstorm of a human being, uh, plans to use a delivery truck to drop off the ransom 
And then his idea is that they're going to have agents inside the delivery truck hiding and whoever opens the door of the delivery truck to get the ransom will just be like murdered instantaneously. A Trojan horse. Yeah, it's the modern day version of a Trojan horse, literally. (laughs) Um, However, the corruption in St. Paul uh, was so bad that not even this could escape the like getting word to the gang um so they received a tip from officer thomas brown who is like one of the like biggest moles within the saint paul police department that there was um so he calls up the gang and he's like hey fyi like don't like just watch your back basically like they're gonna try and pull one over on you so the gang goes back to the FBI, writes him a little note, and says, uh, don't try to pull any shenanigans. Flatbed truck, remove the doors, add a red light so we can know there's no one, like, extra on the vehicle. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know how all that worked in the 1930s. I don't know why a red light matters, but whatever. Um, so Hoover's plans were obviously foiled. And the gang got their ransom. And Ham was released safely into a field outside of Wyoming, Minnesota. And ultimately about 50 miles away from St. Paul. So just like real casual. Just like you're in a field now. (laughs) Uh, Rip. By the way, I divided my notes into sections. And the next section that we're going into is called the beginning of the end so (laughs) um i list mine too and occasionally it's like funny stuff like that so i love that i appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) um okay so unfortunately the kidnappers unwittingly left behind some incriminating evidence for the authorities According to the FBI website, on September 6, 1933, the FBI laboratory used latent fingerprint identification to pull fingerprints from the ransom notes. They were using a new form of scientific method that um, we now call latent fingerprints, but at the time, they were just experimenting, basically. And they, uh, so they used the silver nitrate method to successfully extract latent prints from the ransom letters, which had all of the gang members' fingerprints on them, basically. Mm -hmm. However, by this time, the gang was already on the wind, and um, they eventually would circle back to St. Paul, believing, yet again, that it was still a safe haven for them, and they decided to undertake another kidnapping. This time, their target was wealthy banker Edward George Bremer Jr. First of all, what is it with the fucking juniors in like this Like Bremer story? Bank? And yes, you guessed it, like Bremer <laughs> Bank. I literally put in my notes, in parentheses, after his name, you guessed it, from the family that founded Bremer Bank. <laughs> Uh, if Bremer Bank doesn't exist where you're from, uh, it's a very 
popular bank where we're from. So they're they're a big deal, I guess. Now I wonder why. Yeah. This time when they um when they kidnapped Mr. Bremer, they demanded two hundred thousand in ransom, which if you calculate that out is four point six million dollars in today's money. So so many dollars. Um they were able to receive that ransom and Bremer was released safe and sound, but this time he was able to provide a few clues to the FBI. So between the clues that Bremer was able to provide and the latent fingerprints that they were able to extract from the hams kidnapping, they were able to point all this back to the Barker Carpus gang. So now the gang's like in hot water. They're like, oh shit, not a good time. So they flee. Uh, They split up, and some of them flee to Cuba. Three of them, including Alvin Carpus, went so far as to go go through under-the-table plastic surgery to either alter their appearance or their fingerprints. There is a photo uh, on the website of the fact that Alvin Carpus doesn't have fingerprints after this. He literally has them removed. I don't That's know how. painful. Yeah. Super unpleasant to think about, honestly. There are, like, only a few ways to do that, and they are all painful. And it Ugh. and they don't... It doesn't last for very long, either. Your fingerprints will grow back. If you want to remove them, pain, like, permanently, it's even more painful. Yeah, his were gone forever. Ugh. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, not a fun time. Give me why, like, it does look, I could be wrong, but it seems like in the photos, like, the, the tops of his fingers are, like, bulgy, and it's probably from, like, scar tissue from whatever it was that he did to remove his fingerprints. Oh, yeah. No. Nothing about that seems pleasant. Ugh. Um. Yeah. So... All the gang trying just to, like, stay under the radar, stay out of the way of the FBI. Um, the, why, why is this beer making me so burpy? My God. Uh, so Fred That's Barker. why I burp all the time and you don't. <laughs> it's because I drink all the carbonated drinks. And ever since you've been drinking, like, the Croix and beers on the show. On the show, you're burping. <laughs> Shit. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, the tides will turn once again someday. <laughs> I would do a quick refill if you would. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. More glass right off the, off the counter? Okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's not absolutely terrifying to me or anything (laughs) um where was i fingerprints right yes so they did stuff to get rid of their fingerprints sounds terrifying to me yep um so fred barker ma barker and another member of the gang went to live in miami in 
late 1934. They end up living in a cottage along Lake Weir in uh, outside of Miami. And a raid on another of the Barker Carpus gang members um, reveals a map of Florida with Lake Weir circled because apparently this gang member was a fucking dumbass. <laughs> and so they very quickly put together like that this is where other gang members are located. So on January 16th, 1935, the FBI descend upon this cottage. They knocked on the door once to demand that the uh, people inside surrender themselves. And then they waited 15 minutes. They got no reply. So they tried again. Like, kudos to them, I guess, for, like, making sure that they announced their presence. Yeah, they don't do that anymore, so. Uh, um, <laughs> complicated feelings about that. Uh, they did for a while, but now they don't again. Meh. Um, I did not um, mean to totally disrupt you. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. So they knock on the door again. They once again demand that whoever is inside surrender. They once again wait 15 minutes and receive no response. So they break open a window and they throw in a canister of tear gas. Then someone from inside shouts, All right, go ahead. And a machine gun begins firing from the upstairs bedroom window. For the next several hours, because... So they, the FBI got there at about 5 a.m. For the next several hours, they exchange gunfire. And at 10.30 a.m., all gunfire from the cottage has ceased. Mm -hmm. So they go in and they find Ma and Fred dead. Uh, it didn't, the FBI website didn't say anything specifically about the other gang member, but I assume he was also dead. <laughs> um, Arthur Barker, by the way, AKA doc was tracked down by the FBI in Chicago. Uh, also famously where John Dillinger was shot in the face outside of a theater in 1934. Um, and he was arrested without incident, thankfully. He was eventually found guilty of the kidnapping of Mr. Bremer, and he was literally sent to Alcatraz, which I didn't realize, like, that Alcatraz was, like, a federal prison. I think I just thought it was a California prison. Mm -hmm. So I was like, "Is it a That's federal prison?" It must be if they were sending people from out of out of California to Alcatraz. Because uh... I was very confused. Like, why would they send him to Alcatraz if he was committing I mean, these he, crimes and like, like? I feel like not. I feel California. like even if Alcatraz, I don't know. I don't know if Alcatraz is a California prison or federal prison, state or federal, but. I imagine that there are also still some, even if prisons are state or federal, there would still be some, like, cases where you can, like, the, the. I mean, probably, but I just Googled it. Federal authority could utilize state yes. prisons. 
Yes, but I did just Google it. It was a federal penitentiary. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Um, I, I don't know why I didn't bother to Google that further, but, like, it just seemed like it had to be a federal penitentiary if they were going to send someone from literally, like, Wisconsin or Illinois into California. Um, but, I mean, so, yeah, like, what I was trying to get at with that is, like, if if they're like this is like a high profile enough person and we think that they need to be in like high security prison like alcatraz right this is where they'll go like i feel like federal would be able to kind of override anything and put people there anyways possibly yeah possibly maybe i don't know i'm speculating yeah it's fine obviously you Um... already figured out the answer but (laughs) Um, I see what you're saying, though. Like, the priority is, like, put them somewhere they can't get out. Yeah. Um, however, Arthur did try to escape did in 1939. <laughs> I mean, yes. But 1930, in 1939, Arthur tried to escape and was caught, um, but was ended up being killed in the attempt. So he died in 1939. However... Um, Alvin Carpus remains in the wind. He's not caught yet. So, this is when, like, after the Ham and Bremer kidnappings, this is when the, like, corruption busting begins. Because both of these scenarios, especially, obviously, the Ham kidnapping, because it happened first, brought, like, an awareness to the citizens of St. Paul like the reality of having the criminal underworld in their community became very clear to them before the kidnappings. It wasn't uncommon to see like Al Capone or John Dillinger, like out at a restaurant, whatever. Um, and it was considered like a thrilling novelty, I guess. Um, uh, would be terrifying today, mm-hmm. I think. But then it was just like, Oh my God, Al Capone is eating at the table next to us. Don't look. Um, you know. And I, was, I feel like that's just the vibe that we get from like the 1920s to the 1940s anyways. Is like that's how yeah. people experience things. Yeah. And it was between the fact that like it was kind of understood that there were criminals in St. Paul. Um and also, like, the fact that, like, these individuals had taken over the press. Like, I have not talked about this thus far because it mostly happened with people like John Dillinger, who is more or less tangential to this story. Like, their escapades were, like, blown up by the press. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge thing. And so to see them in a restaurant was like, oh, my God. That's John Dillinger. Don't look. Don't make a scene. Like, you know what I mean? It was just crazy. Mm-hmm. And so they were they were used to seeing these people around. But also, I imagine that there's probably an element of this, which is that having them there in their city during Prohibition um, from 1919 to 1933 made getting booze easier. And obviously, we've talked about before many times that Prohibition wasn't popular. So, 
if if having John Dillinger or Al Capone in your city was going to make it easier for you to get your hands on some liquor, you probably weren't going to say anything. Right. Um, but the kidnappings, like, triggered a fear in in the St. Paul, pe- like, people. Community. And, yeah, in the community, yeah. And they demanded a change at this point. They were like, this cannot continue if these millionaires who they believed were being protected by the kidnap squad of the police could be kidnapped what's to prevent your average joe from being kidnapped for ransom blah 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 so they started to demand change a year after the ham kidnapping the saint paul daily news the like periodical there the news publication uh, actually helped to set up a wiretap on the saint paul police department uh and within a year of that so by July 1935, many of the corrupt officials within the police department had been ousted, either by being forced to resign or literally by being arrested and mm-hmm. facing jail time. Mm-hmm. However, it is noteworthy that Officer Thomas Brown, the biggest mole and the one who was responsible for tip, like tipping off Loki, do you mind? No, he doesn't. It should be noted that Officer Thomas Brown, the biggest mole, the guy who is responsible for tipping off the gang most of the time. Bro, I'm trying to do a thing. <laughs> Let me out. Loki's not trying to get out. Loki is begging for food right mm. now. Um, so he was, like, the biggest, like, mole inside the police department. He didn't face any criminal charges, ever. (laughs) Oh, my God. Dude. Let him out. Yeah. Okay, so, of note is the fact that Officer Thomas Brown... The biggest mole within the police department in St. Paul and the man who was responsible for tipping off the gangs most of the time was never charged. He never saw criminal charges for all the corruption. Okay, so I'm not necessarily surprised by that because, I mean, I, I don't know what the laws were at that time, but I know that there are like certain laws now that restrict um you know certain confessionals or or certain evidence from being valid um if people aren't aware of like video cameras or sure microphones or things like that so maybe that's why he wouldn't have been charged is like sure if he said something but he didn't know that there were microphones there recording what he was saying then it can't be considered valid evidence if he was that corrupt already, it's possible that he knew how to avoid being recorded after 1935 when these were, or 1934 when the the wiretap was installed. Right, right. yeah. So, like, it, yeah. he should have been charged, but there may be several reasons why it would make sense that he wasn't. Right. Uh, so as I mentioned before, Alvin Karpis 
continued to evade the FBI. Uh, actually, after um, like John Dillinger and Pretty Boy Floyd, uh, who had also been named public enemy number one uh, by the FBI, were killed in shootouts with the police. Um, or I guess in John Dillinger's case, he wasn't killed in a shootout. He was just shot. Um, the That escalated Alvin Karpus's status within the FBI to public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. So he literally became the most wanted man in America. He managed to stay pretty under the radar at one point in Atlantic City, New Jersey, the FBI caught up with him, but he and another gang member named Terry Campbell managed to escape during a shootout. And so he continued um, not only like evading the FBI, but also committing crimes during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one site that referred to it as his reign of terror which i feel like is a little dramatic because it i didn't is. see any specific references Rain. to murders oh. he committed um like and also yeah rain dramatic <laughs> like listen if you've seen the cw show you get it um <laughs> so good also another good one oh <laughs> We keep hitting all of my favorite pastimes. Like, <laughs> Rain is such a good show, dude. Oh, Adelaide Kane became one of my favorite actresses because of that show. Do you follow her TikTok? Because yeah, it's incredible. It is incredible. Um, the bi energy on that TikTok. Yes. Incredible. Yes. Okay. Uh, moving on, because I really do want to finish this and not <laughs> skip dinner tonight. Uh, so he escaped from that shootout, but they did eventually catch up to him in New Orleans. Uh, at this point, this was in, uh, 1936. So J. Edgar Hoover had been openly criticized by the Senate, um, for not actually participating in any of the arrests like i think at one point and i think this is even in the movie that johnny depp was in uh about john dillinger um where like he was openly asked like how many men have you personally arrested and the answer was zero like he just hadn't he was like the leader but he didn't actually participate in any of the like arrests um so he's getting a lot of criticism for not having personally been involved in arresting any of these or impacting the like biggest criminals in america basically so he decides that he's going to make it a point to be at the next big arrest the next one that comes down the pipeline is when they hear that Alvin is in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So they set up a raid, basically, in New Orleans. J. Edgar Hoover flies to New Orleans. And at 5 p.m. on May 1st, 1936, a dozen agents surround Alvin's car. According to the FBI, Hoover is the one who approaches the vehicle and grabs Alvin by the collar 
when he reaches for like a firearm in the back seat, basically, and tells him that he's under arrest. Uh, ridiculously enough, <laughs> it was tourist like, season. <laughs> I mean, probably, but also it was. <laughs> Okay, got it. That's why he had the balls to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ridiculously Sorry. enough, it's fine. Uh, and this is really par for the course, I think, for early FBI, is that nobody thought to bring a pair of handcuffs to arrest Alvin. So his <laughs> wrists were tied with a literal fucking necktie in oh, order yeah. to bring him into custody. Which I'm just now realizing I have a picture of and didn't put on the drive. So I will add that. Great. Um, so yeah, he's brought in not with handcuffs or anything, but just literally with a goddamn necktie tied around his fucking wrists. <laughs> like, insane. Um, so he's caught... This is the last member of the Alvin Car or the Carpus, the Barker Carpus gang. God, that took a lot of effort for me to get out of my mouth. Syllables and words. Mm-hmm. Um, he did ultimately plead guilty to both the kidnappings of William Ham Jr. and Bremer, Mr. Bremer Jr., whatever the fuck his long ass name was, also mm -hmm. involving a junior. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was sent at, to Alcatraz as well. Fun fact. Um, also fun fact, he served the longest sentence of any prisoner at Alcatraz ever. Wow. 25 years and one month. He was released on parole in 1969. Nice. <laughs> Keeps coming back. It we does. can tell it's the 68th episode. <laughs> Uh, he was deported to Canada, which, remember, is where he was born. And he settled in Montreal for a little while, where he wrote a memoir. Uh, I want to read it. As you do. <laughs> and in the memoir, he counters the claim from the FBI that J. Edgar Hoover was the one to approach him uh, to inform him that he was being arrested. In it, he claims that Hoover didn't dare to approach him until after he was already in custody. So that for sure seems on track with everything I know about J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Alvin would eventually move to Spain in 1973. And he lived for approximately six more years. He died at the age of 72 of natural causes on August 26, 1979. Officially the last member of the Barker Carpus gang to survive, mm -hmm. which brought the gang obviously to an end. But also his arrest originally brought like an end to the like gangster era of the 1930s. Ah. So... So he just like fucked it all up. Yeah, it just like so many crazy fucking things about this story, like the fact that it was J. Edgar Hoover's first arrest, like where he was present. It was the first time they used latent fingerprint technology yep. to 
like get fingerprints off of things that you couldn't just like dust like Mm -hmm. we normally think about with fingerprints um he was one of the first public enemy number one i think he might have been the first public enemy number one to be arrested without getting killed in a shootout right like bonnie and clyde died in a shootout um dillinger died uh being shot through the face again not a shootout but he was killed by the fbi um like one of the first to just like like be public enemy number one and then like survive right exactly like Like live until he died of a natural death right pretty boy floyd died of a shootout with the fbi like so it's just super unheard of at that point that like they would take him into custody without Mm -hmm. having to fire a weapon Mm -hmm. um which is crazy um yeah that's like that's the whole story there's a lot of like to it i feel like i left out a lot of things but also this was seven pages of research and i was still like i could have found more (laughs) yeah there's a lot to it no that's amazing that took us all over literally all over the continental u.s yeah uh wow and like i i am just like entranced by the fact that saint paul was such a haven for like criminals Mm -hmm. in this era like i having grown up in minnesota a this is just not a fact we know or share Maybe it is more regionally or locally in St. Paul, but I grew up not in St. Paul, so I just, no idea. Um, And, like, the fact that so many gangsters just, like, were comfortable hanging out in St. Paul, insane. Insane. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, dude. I really, I I just want to confirm for those who are still wondering if I want to know what my gangster name would be that I do want to know. Um, I toyed with the idea of it being Mari Bookie Harlow, Mm. but I don't think I would want to be a book fixer or bookmaker or whatever it is. So that seems not right. Well, Bookie also makes me think of like horse races. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, it's yeah, fix- yeah. it's fixing the books. On oh, bedding. right, 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 right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, no. So I don't, like, even though it fits in with who I am as an actual person, I just don't know that it would be it. So I don't know. I am going to either find or create um, a gangster name generator that will be definitely on our social media um, and also on the website as yeah. of when this episode gets released so for sure <laughs> Dude, i'm gonna have this... so much fun with this <laughs> just like you did with like greek and the moscatos it's it's I... gonna be very much me doing that and i'm gonna be sending you stuff and you're also gonna be as overwhelmed as i was <laughs> dude that episode was off the rails and that fucking like as i was making all of those i was like this is insane the fact that i'm even doing this it was perfect i loved that um i had a good time it was a good good time <laughs> <laughs> oh man well thank you 
so much for bringing us that story. Anytime. Um, Anytime. Oh, you added... I just saw an update. Yeah, I literally just plopped it in there. I'm going to put it in as yep. 10.5. Perfect. All right. I have a, a few things. I will go on to special thanks. But before that... um. <laughs> I wanted to give you your heads up for next week's episode. You so graciously reminded me that next week's episode is number 69. So (laughs) what I originally had, I was like, I feel like I need to change this. And Mm -hmm. so I'm also going Mm -hmm. to change the format of how I usually give you (laughs) (laughs) something to cover. Usually I would give you um, a time period and a place, but this time I'm going to give you words. (laughs) Oh, casual. (laughs) It's a broad category, given that ours is a speech-based podcast. (laughs) I, um, (laughs) I'm going to give you some adjectives. Oh my God. (laughs) You can use any or all of them. Oh my god. So I am overwhelmed already. Um, I will say my hope is that you use these words to find like a true crime. <laughs> but Okay. <laughs> but okay. if you don't, that's totally okay. So um the <laughs> the adjectives that I have for you. <laughs> Are glitz, <laughs> glam, <laughs> sexy, <laughs> and bubbly. Oh, God. The fuck am I supposed to do with all of that? Whatever you want. Again, you don't have to oh, use all of them. You can just use one. I would love it if you did a true crime or a murder. If you don't, that's also okay. That's just what I'm requesting. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, wait, wait. Caitlin. Caitlin. What? What? The Mob Museum has a gangster name generator. Okay, send it. I'll post it on I the will. thing. But I just I'm need... also still probably just going to create one. Oh, are we going to do it right now? Let's do it. Yeah, I'm going to send it to you right now because okay. mine is really good. So I'm going to wait for you to do it. You have to fill out like a little questionnaire. It's kind of fun. Okay. Actually. Oh, my God. Hey, they even have gender neutral. That's cute. I know. Okay. <laughs> okay, I will make sure to post this. <laughs> mine is super on par like super checks out honestly ah, okay you ready i'm ready so mine is mari the gun harlow <laughs> okay what is yours mine is caitlin with a twist Which I love so much, because <laughs> what what is a martini if not without a twist? Uh, mine says that I am the friend of a friend, a speakeasy owner. <laughs> um, honestly, incredible. Ten out of ten. I'm I'm the mob girlfriend. 
the mob girlfriend. Okay, so Jordan, you have some explaining to do. <laughs> um, so, what it what it, my what my crime is? Men buy me things. Who are <sighs> they to turn me down? Or who am I to turn them down? <laughs> uh, mine is hey, I don't want any trouble. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly is so true. This is so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm um, going to add this, but I'm also going to add one of those ones that's like, yeah, first your letter of your name. This, like, yeah, yeah, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that so much. So good. <laughs> so good. Well, okay. So my my special thanks definitely have to start with the mob museum dot org because <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should change on our website our names now. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm dedicated to being Mari the Gun Harlow at this point. Great. Um, it I don't understand how the gun has anything to do with me being a speakeasy owner who just doesn't want any trouble. I I don't understand the narrative, but you know what? I'll find out. Who knows? Through some personal introspection, say. I will figure it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um other special things go to um humbug billy for making some cool peppermint um candies that may or may not have poisoned a lot of people it's fine not him someone right. else yeah but someone poisoned um, a lot of people yeah but it wasn't him he was making candies that people loyally loved or providing candies that people loyally love. Right, um, right, right. Thanks to Rumplemans for those amazing vintage ads. I only shared <laughs> one. There are more. You can look them oh up. I'm not going to include them all. Um. <laughs> Don't mind me going down that fucking rabbit hole later today. <laughs> They're hot. Um, so hot. <laughs> Thank you to whoever it was that created Peppermint Schnapps because. It is a cozy, nice, lovely drink for the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you to the FBI. That's the first and only time in history that's ever been said. <laughs> mm. um, I mean, I want to believe that there are a lot of times they get things right. But we yeah. do know that there are a lot of times that they don't. We also know that J. Edgar Hoover was a colossal ass. So. That's why I didn't say thank you to him. I just said thanks to the FBI. Uh, fair. Uh, thanks to 1930s St. Paul for being a wild ride, I guess. Um, yeah. Thanks to Ma Barker for just looking out for her boys. That's all she was doing. She's just trying to like keep them safe. Good mom. A good mom. Good mom energy. Not everyone has that. No, not that not that you should necessarily be advocating for your children, you know, to robbing people, um, but yeah, supporting your children. That's, that's that's great. Yeah. Thanks to Theodore Ham for inventing hams. Um, It's a good beer. I don't drink it often enough, to be honest. We love you. Cheers, nerds. OK, bye. Alcohol and Anecdotes is hosted, produced, and edited by Caitlin Hedberg and Mari Harlow. 
Our intro and outro music is courtesy of Vanity Plate of Minot, North Dakota. You can visit alcoholandanecdotes.com to find episode content and merch. You can also email us at alcoholandanecdotes at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram or Facebook at alcoholandanecdotes. You can listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow, rate, or review our podcast or subscribe to us on Patreon for additional support and to help keep alcohol and anecdotes going. While we joke about alcohol use and mental health issues as a part of our day-to-day, we know that both can be no laughing matter. If you're struggling with substance abuse or a mental health disorder, please call the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP for information on local treatment options, support groups, and community-based organizations. Once again, that's 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks for listening. Cheers, nerds.